Welcome to the Fire Trainers Podcast, part of ConcealedCarry.com network. I'm your host, Rob Beckman, and this episode, we'll be talking about range operations. We bring this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at the FTA, the Firearm Trainers Association. Head on over to their website at ftaprotect.com to learn more about their instructor coverage and their competitive pricing. Receive a special 10% off by entering promo code FTP10 at checkout. This episode is brought to you by Barrel Block. It's everyone's responsibility to safe with a firearm, which is why in every class I teach, we stress safety to the students by ensuring every gun is picked up is clear. But recently, I got my hands a hold of a barrel block, and now I use it in my classes all the time. It is a caliber-specific device that can be installed without disassembling the firearm and physically prevents the firearm from firing and is visible to anyone around that the gun is safe. If safety is your number one concern during your classes, then you need a barrel block in your range bag and for your classroom presentations. Today, we'll be talking with Shane Cardwell, owner of Impact Shooting Center in Cleves, Ohio. Welcome, Shane. How are things going today? Going great. How about you, Rob? Oh, it's another fun cold miserable day in uh, southern ohio so probably have some snow it was 62 three days ago and it's snowing right now so you got you gotta love the midwest that's all i gotta say (laughs) and it'll probably be about eh, what four months we'll probably be up into the 90s and be complaining about how hot it is we definitely do have uh, a lot of seasons in a short amount of time well shane we appreciate you coming on um but Probably a lot of our listeners probably don't know who Shane Carbwell is or Impact Shooting Center. Can you give us a little bit of your background and uh, you know, and what your shooting center does specifically? Sure, man. So first, thank you for having me on your podcast, and thank you for all you do in this community. I know firsthand how much time you spend working on bettering not only yourself, but the people of this community. So it's an honor for me to be here today. Well, thank you. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, so I don't have a real exciting background, man. I'm was never in law enforcement, not in the military. Um, I did start my first business at the age of 16. I was selling leads for mortgage brokers, <laughs> doing it out of the phone book back in the day, old school. <laughs> uh, at the age of 19, I was partners in a towing business. Um, in 2009, I started another towing business. In 2011, I bought a repair shop here in Cleves, and at the time, I still was uh, owner of the towing business. And in 2011, I sold that towing business. I started an online parts business, which was uh, an eBay store. Uh, it was super successful and led me to, in 2014, needing to do something else um, because of needing to, to cover some taxes. So basically... It was either pay a lot of taxes or start another company. And so I started another trucking business um, because of my accountant. And uh, that was uh, about the end of 2017, 2018. Um, I shut the parts business down. I sold the trucking business and I went to work for a mega church uh, in the Northern Kentucky area. And uh, I was hired there as the facilities director and the safety director along with many other titles after being there for a very short period of time. <laughs> um, I had been part of their security team. They're actually their armed escort team uh, for about two years prior to being asked to come work for them. Um, when I took over the volunteer team for the safety team there and the security team, I had about 25 volunteers. Uh, when I left at the end of 20, or actually it was April of 2018, 
I uh, had over 130 volunteers on my team and actually had to turn people away for services because we had so many people. Um, during that time as a, as a leader at the church, we stumbled upon the range. Um, and at the time, it was called Tactical Intelligence Group or TIG. People knew it in the, in the local area. The few people that didn't know about it knew it as TIG training. Um, we trained here at this facility for approximately two years, weekly, my wife and I with uh, our mentor, Bo Sabrowski. We came every Thursday for about four hours and paid for private instruction. And um, after that, in about April of 2018, um, things weren't working out at the church for me. I'd been pretty much self-employed most of my life. So uh, actually Bo came to my house and said, hey, I think you could buy um, the range. And I was like, heck yeah, man, sign me up. And my wife was like, Bo, get out of my house. <laughs> You're not buying nothing. And uh, so we actually had a meeting with um, the current, the lady who owned it at the time, uh, mid-April. I think it was like April 14th or 15th, 16th, something like that. Had lunch with her and made her an offer on a napkin. And uh, within two weeks, I owned the facility. Uh, that was May 1st of 2018. Uh, at the time, we had roughly 85 members, give or take a few. The books were a little funky at the time, so we can't be certain. Um, but now we currently have around 700 members. So we've grown exponentially. Uh, it's been a great, great success with um, just in this area from word of mouth to, you know, some of the people we've brought here. Um, and basically, I run the day-to-day -day operations with my wife, Carly. It's just her and I. We do everything from taking out the trash, cleaning the toilets, spreading gravel. We get instructors on the books for, uh, for the upcoming years, and then we do some instructing ourselves. You're a busy person, say the least. I am. I am. Uh, I am. Plus a lot of children to take care of and, and, uh, wouldn't have it any other way. Fam family's a good thing. Well, yes, can, you can you tell our listeners, cause they may not be completely familiar with what a members only range is and, and how that, how impact, uh, does that? Sure. So members only range is for me, it's like having a group of like-minded folks that have a safe place to train that isn't around people that they don't know. Um, or that have no real respect for safety. Uh, it's a place where we don't allow guests. Insurance um, basically puts a stop to us allowing guests. So it ensures that everybody that comes here is a member of this range. So you can feel confident that they know the rules and they know how things are to be done around here. And um, hopefully you're not being flagged or anything like that. Safety is our number one priority here. Mm-hmm. And you, and you've got the card access system. So you, you know, you know, who's on the property of any time you can always, yep. you know, look at it and which is you know useful because, you know, yes. we've all been to those public ranges to where you go along and you just kind of cringe at the person in the booth next to you, you know, looking down the barrel of his gun because he wasn't sure if it was loaded or not, or, you know, yes. some of the other silly things that we see, you know, going around the internet from time to time. And it's kind of a special place you know, say the least. And you guys are open 9am to 9pm, which yes, in the winter time gives people time to go out and go night shooting, which is allowed, which, uh, yeah. you know, which, Hey, you can't go to a public range and say, okay, turn it lights, but you can go to a <laughs> members only range and go during, you know, the hours that you're allowed and practice something that, that you probably norm. Most people normally haven't practiced. And I can tell you when I've done shooting at night, it's, it's, completely different than shooting the daylight yes he pressed the trigger the same but going along you don't pick up the sights the same way you've really got to go along and be a little bit more aware and 
you know, going along and having, you know, a big gun, sometimes that isn't always great in, at night because what, you're going to have a bigger flash. You're going to have that muzzle flash. And, but all those types of things you don't know unless you actually are out there at night for one That's of the things fact. I think is kind of, kind of cool is when you shoot at night, you can actually see the little bits and pieces of unburned powder or metal, uh, pieces that come off the bullets go flying off and, and, various directions which normally you don't see during the daylight but it really gives you a sense of just how much explosion is going on in that chamber and what's all being pushed out of that muzzle yes sir it's so true it's very unique to be able to come to a facility and be able to train in the evening or in the dark and uh i don't allow it on the rifle range for safety issues um it's not that i can't i just prefer personally not to allow uh, night shooting with the rifle unless there is RSO here or class. Uh, but the pistol pits, the walkway is all lit up for the pistol pits. And um, so to, to be able to go down there, and I'll be honest with you, shockingly, there is quite a few people weekly that do take advantage of it. So it's definitely an added benefit for the members here for sure. Definitely. So the ranges at impact, you talked about the rifle range there and such. How are the ranges laid out? So we currently have a 100-yard rifle range. Uh, we have eight targets on that rifle range, paper targets where you can hang and you can shoot it at as close as point blank all the way back to 100 yards. We've got steel on the rifle range that you can shoot uh, from the shelter at 100 yards. Uh, then we've got five pistol pits. Um, out of the six pits, I have three shelters. Um, there's a shelter on our first pistol pit. And on our fifth pistol pit, which is our classroom pit, and then I have a shelter on the rifle range. Um, we also have medical boxes at each shelter. Uh, I know when I bought this place and you became a member, the one thing you said to me that you thought would be a great idea was, you know, add some sort of medical supply to the uh, rifle range. And you're like, man, do it this way. And so I did. And um, I'll be honest with you, I've gotten some amazing feedback from a lot of members how appreciative that they are. Um, in those boxes, you know, we provide some TQs, chest seals, blowout kits, et cetera. Um, nothing super crazy, but, you know, local fire department around here, they are small and they have a large area to cover. And uh, so having that stuff on hand, knowing that they're seven to 15 minutes away to help you, a lot can happen in seven to 15 minutes. So, mm -hmm. um, But the rifle range, uh, it's it's got about a 70 foot tall berm. Uh, the pistol pits all have about 20 foot berm backstops and they all have about 12, anywhere from eight to 12, um, on the sides in the winter time, it drops a little bit by probably, I would say anywhere from one to three feet just because of the, the dirt settling from the rain and things. But, um, last spring we were able to bump them right back up to 20 feet and I plan to do so again this spring as well. Now, those things are really important have a safe range of having, you know, berms up high enough. And, you know, for the instructors out there that are thinking about building their own ranges or ranges, you know, make sure they understand what a safe berm is because you don't want somebody to be shooting and all of a sudden go through a railroad tie or, That's you know, you know, it's fine for a nine millimeter, but if you bring a rifle out, it goes, it goes through the backstop and that's where, you know, your 70 foot hill, that's got a lot of dirt behind it. Your rifle range isn't going to go, isn't going to uh, be able to go through that, 
uh, that kind of a hill. But at the same time, like you said, you don't shoot steel up at point blank, uh, you know, distance. You, you go along, you, you have a, a set off where people have to be safe and be back because it is self-managed. And if something does happen, you know, you've got the first aid kit there, which is, yep. I, th- I think is a really good, good idea for all ranges to consider because, you know, we go along and say, you know, when, when, you know, a violent person, a criminal comes and is going to rob you, you know, when police are minutes away, when, when you've got seconds and the same thing happens if you've got a medical emergency, you know, how do you go along and get that person, you know, a chest seal on somebody who accidentally shot themselves or caught a ricochet? It's great to go along and say you called 911, but if you've got to wait seven to 15 minutes, that's going to be the longest time that you've got there. And one thing to keep in mind, that's when they come on the property, they still have to truck the, the gurney or whatever, you know, they're, they're going to bring to them down to the range. Cause it's not one of those ranges where you've got a paved road where you can pull up the ambulance right next to it. You know, they're going to be pulling in the parking lot, grabbing their gear and then trucking it onto the range. And those are all things yeah. that instructors need to uh, be thinking about. And I know, you know, we talked a little bit about the gate and you got some lighting, um, but you've also gone along and coordinated with local EMS so they know where things are and how to get into the range. Um, you know, even with the card access, uh, they, they have the ability to respond very, very quickly. Well, it, it, they do. And it's funny because when we purchased the range, you came and went with a text message. It was, it was rather strange. And uh, I realized very quickly that it wasn't a very good system that was in place and uh, more than likely people were showing up and they weren't even members. Uh, I sat one time for about three weeks and each person that came to shoot about 50% of them weren't members and they were bringing guests. So I <laughs> <laughs> uh, right away, we fenced and gated the entire property. We added the key card system, like you said, and that stopped the problem. I mean, right away, we didn't have any trouble after that. Uh, we ran about 500 feet of electric for lighting. So now there's lighting at the, at the, uh, at the gates and there's lighting in the parking lot. And there's also cameras, which now I have the ability to see the entire range, the entire facility, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, the best part about the key card system, though, besides keeping non-members out, uh, it's the ability to keep track of each member who comes and goes. You know, I know who's here at all times. And um and you're right. I did. I did reach out to the local uh, fire department uh, after taking them around on this property. Um, I actually, first of all, what I did was from being a facility director of a mega church, I knew what the fire department would look for. Right. And so I knew that they needed a way to access. And so you buy a knock lock or a knock box mm-hmm. and, and you put it up and that's how they were able to access the facility. So I reached out to them and they never called me back. So I reached out to them again and I said, Hey, I need you guys to come and put this lock on our gate. And, uh, they never came. So it was about three months. I finally called and I just basically, I was like, I need to speak to the chief and the, and the, the lady who answered, she's like, well, what can I help you with? And I said, you know, I need you to come put this knock lock on in case something happens at our facility. You guys can get in here and get to get to the practitioner. So long story short, she came out within an hour. And, uh, they put it on and, um, that's when I gave them a tour. And, and so now they have a, what's really nice is that they have an idea of where things are now, because I basically walked the whole property with them. And before that they had never, never been anywhere on the property. So I know how important it is, you know, if they call and say, well, Hey, I'm at the pistol pits. Well, 
they may show up to the gate and have no idea where that is. So we've done a pretty good job of letting them know where it's at, giving them overviews and also signage that, that pretty much tells people where they are. Well, and, and let's put it, you know, think about it from the EMS side of things. If I'm coming there and let's just say somebody's having a heart attack on one of the pistol ranges, I don't want to be walking someplace that's got live fire and if they know where to go properly between the rifle range and the pistol pits, different things like that, they can, you know, get there quicker and also avoid any, uh, bad situations because, you know, as I always go along and, and inform my instructors, when I teach them, you want to go along and make it as simple for them to come in there because if they, if they think there's a dangerous situation, you know, there's a, you know, there's an active shooter, they're going to stage way far away and wait for the police to come in there. And that's one of those things where seven to 15 minutes. Yeah. It could be like 15 to 45 minutes before they come there, because it's not just going to be Barney Fife who shows up and goes walking down there and telling everybody a holster. They're going to be coming in there, you know, with a whole lot of people to make sure they can you know, address whatever happens. And that's just, it takes some time and you've got to think through this before it happens. We just recently had um, one of the members make us some signs and he should be dropping them off any day that basically say, Hey, if you've shot yourself or if there's been a shooting, when you call 911, this is the address, this is where I'm at, but also that it's a training accident and not a shooting. Um, I mean, it's a big deal. I know that in, in most all training that I've taken, you know, that's the one thing that instructors say right off the bat, and it's so true. The last oh, yeah. thing you want is to have EMS not be able to come and respond right away to anything like that. Yeah. I mean, think about, you know, call 911, you know, there's been a shooting. Well, how many times do they get, does the 911 center get a call like that? That it's like, okay, you know, where are you at? Okay. We're sending the police, you know, ambulance is going to be coming along eventually, but the first priority is getting the police there to secure the scene versus going along and say, Hey, we're at a, at a range. Somebody's had a training accident and, you know, training accident. Yeah. They could have cat some splatter off of a steel plate or off a rock, but they could have also had a heart attack or a bee sink. Yeah. And those are all the things to where it's time is of the essence to get the EMS uh, professionals there. And one, uh, one other thing that um, I think you guys do a real good job of is when you're running classes, you also have the extra trauma bag that you bring down to the class. So in case there is, you know, additional injuries, Besides, besides having the mailbox or, you know, the box that you have at each of the range currently, you also have the, the trauma bag, which is good to be able to have that there with you because there again, you want to have the proper gear for whatever, whatever potentially could happen when you're using firearms. Well, you know, whenever I first started going down the shooting road, I guess you would say um, the medical portion or the medical side of things never really crossed my mind. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to about a year and a half ago, two years ago, maybe it's been two and a half years ago. I don't even know. Time flies. Uh, I had the uh, pleasure of taking a D-Day response group course um, and their TCCC, and it was also with Live Fire. And I'm going to tell you, it was so eye-opening. Um, and not that you would necessarily even use your medical training for for a range scenario that you've been shot or there's been a training accident, but they take it as far as what if you've come upon an accident or you're involved in an auto accident. And, um, so yeah, it, it is a big deal. We do, I actually keep IFAC kits in all my vehicles. Um, mm -hmm. but I, my, the, the trauma bag, we keep, you know, supplies, 
um, basic over-the-counter medication, you know, uh, Tylenol and things like that, Band-Aids, military-grade tourniquets, burn dressing, chest seals, um, all kinds of things. Uh, I think it's very important. And I think not only is it very important that you have it, but it's very important that you know what you have and how to use what you have. Exactly. Uh, I think that makes ma- makes a, makes the impact shooting center, you know, that much better because they do have that readily available. Their instructors know where it's at, and you know, in case something happens, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you're shooting a revolver and your hand gets a little too close to that, you know, front of the cylinder, and you end up getting a nice burn on your hand. It's nice yep. to have burn dressing. I mean, you're not going to be calling 911 because you'll probably be driving yourself or somebody will be driving to the hospital, but it's just those types of things to make it a little, little bit better. You know, somebody gets slide bite, slide, you know, slide bites, terrible, you know, people bleed like crazy, but if you can put a bandaid on it, they can continue on. Yeah. I mean, it's not that bad, but it's just no fun if you don't have a simple bandage around. Um, That's a fact. Now impact shooting range, I know is out in an area that is semi-rural meaning you know that their neighbors aren't in a subdivision type of thing but you've got neighbors that are near you how do you go along and keep good neighbor relations with them you know since you're going people are going to be shooting from nine o'clock in the morning till 9 p.m at night you know you know sometimes when it's dark sometimes with you know some big caliber guns well i'll tell you the when i took the place over you could you could shoot pretty much anytime uh as a member you could shoot Anytime you wanted to shoot, uh, there was a lot of times they actually held night classes that would go to one or two o'clock in the morning. Uh, I took it upon myself right away to immediately meet the neighbors because I do know how important it is to have friendly neighbors and, and neighbors that you can get along with. Uh, and so immediately I asked them some, you know, just some simple questions like if, if there is something that I can do, I want to make sure that I can do it for you. Um, and the one thing was, you know, all of them said, you know, we would be, it'd be great if, they didn't shoot before nine in the morning and it'd be great if they didn't shoot past nine at night across the street. We actually have a, another range. Um, it's a conservation club, but every Tuesday night during the spring, summer and fall, they have an, they have a shoot over there that goes to 11, 12, one o'clock in the morning. Uh, I have members that say like, Hey, they're shooting till one o'clock. Can we shoot past nine? And it's absolutely not. So that is the one thing that I do out of respect for them is simply just shoot between 9 and uh, nine a.m. and 9 p.m. Uh, the other thing is during the holidays, we do little things that, that mean something. You know, we take their family's dinner. Um, we take them just a simple card and say, you know, Merry Christmas. Um, we take them cookies. Uh, I think with, with our neighbors at this point, it's just a thought that counts. You know, they're not expecting anything. Um, we also allow... One, so one of my neighbors is a construction guy and he owns a construction company. And so he's got a lot of vehicles and you've been here. So you know what I'm talking about. Um, I allow him to park a couple of his vehicles here during the winter time. And so, you know, that makes him very happy. I've, I've seen him in town and he's been behind me in the lunch line and I bought his lunch. So um, I just feel like it's, it's no different to be honest with you than the neighbors I have at home or the neighbors you have. If you're friendly with your neighbors, um, your neighbors will respect what you do. Um, the one neighbor who owns pretty much all the properties that surround our facility, which we're fortunate that one person does, his daughter is a police officer. And so when she's home, she comes and shoots here. And, and so, um, I have a, I have a really, really good working relationship with my neighbors. I think it's really important because, 
you know, could somebody really get pissed off and, you know, call the police that, you know, people are shooting after a certain time or, you know, show up at a council meeting and, you know, demand that there's an ordinance and different things like that. Yeah, they could. But if you have good relationships with them and, you know, you're approachable and, uh, you treat them with respect that, you know, when they have a problem, hopefully they'll come to you and and before they start going to the, you know, township or the county and trying to get things changed, changed on you. Because a lot of times, like you said, it's a, it's a simple change. Okay. How many, how many times did you shoot till 1am in the morning once or twice a year? Well, maybe we don't even need to uh, shoot it, shoot that long at all because, you know, people should be, you know, home or they, they sh- shouldn't be, you know, worrying about, you know, shooting that late, you know, and bothering the neighbors. I mean, you're in a semi-rural area, but you still have to, you know, think about your neighbors. Absolutely. Um, yep. So let's, uh, I'll, shift- let the, I'll let the range across the street take the heat for that. Yeah, there you go. Let's <laughs> <laughs> well, shift gears a little bit because our instructors are probably uh, liking you know, what they've heard and hopefully it's given them some ideas on how to set up the range to be a little safer, maybe having a little better uh, relations with their neighbors that they have set up. But what do you look for when it comes to outside instructors? You know, they, if they come and knock on your door or somebody suggests an outside instructor uh, for, you know, wh- in your mind, what do, what do you look for? Well, this could be a little bit selfish of me, but what I look for is what I want in an instructor, right? So I take a lot of instruction my wife takes a lot of instruction and we take this very seriously and we're very passionate about it, uh, what we do. Um, so I invite or ask those types of folks to come to our facility. Uh, I never want anyone to walk away from my class or any instructor that I may bring here and say they didn't get what they paid for or they didn't like what they, you know, what they came for. Um, you know, as well as anybody, we all pay a lot of money to take a class and the instruction that we get should come from people who want to instruct, uh, that take things seriously, that are safe. Uh, and they gen- and they genuinely care about their students. And most importantly, what that, that student or practitioner is getting from the class, getting better at whatever that may be, whatever their goal is. Mm-hmm. Um, to be honest, I- I'm very fortunate. I-, I brought in some of the best last year, in my opinion, in this industry, um, we're bringing some of the best back this year. Mickey Shook's coming back, Scott Jedlinski, John McPhee, Steve Fisher, Tony Cowden, D-Day Response Group, Course of Action, Spencer Keepers, Gabe White. Uh, Spencer's um, coming. Okay. I got, yeah, I got, I got, I got to get, got to get on the, the schedule for that. Cause yeah, that's, he's been on the podcast before. And I just have not been able to make his schedule, my schedule work yet. Well, there's no excuse now. Cause you're only, uh, 20 minutes from the range <laughs> and that's yeah. really truly that's not all of them that's just to name a few and uh and i really just want to offer a variety of different styles of instruction right and and just the names that i read off for example they cover anything from red dot to uh video analysts to even to rifles uh and even like TCCC, which that's what d-day's um going to be doing so that it, it probably is a little bit selfish of me, you know, because I do bring P I have turned people away and um, it's because for one, I don't know anything about them. I've never taken a class from them. Um, and I, I just, uh, I want people to have good training when they come here. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, you know, one of the things you kind of can wrap it all up, people you bring in, have got to reflect the brand that you've built for your range. Yep. If they don't build upon it, then, you know, there's no 
advantage to you for it because in fact they could probably hurt it you know if they have an accident there or if they're not safe or they do something where they piss off the students really bad all of a sudden nobody wants to become a member because the instructors you have the you know the guest instructors guess what they're pissing everybody off it's a quick way of uh, losing yep okay quick question for you is there one thing you think every instructor should know to be successful Oh, well, well, I think the one thing is that not only are they a student of the gun, but they're also a student of the art and practice of teaching others. I think that's, that's very, very important in my opinion. And you could probably put that in different categories, but I think that kind of sums it up um, in just my opinion. Again, remember, I'm not in law enforcement, no military background, just a guy who really likes to shoot and likes to learn. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm always a student. I've been in many of your classes, as you well know. Yep. And I think it ties right into, you know, our first guest of this year, Dave Spalding on the, on the podcast where he was talking about a lot of books that he reads and it, it goes along and shows you, you can be a great shooter, but not be a great instructor. And you know, what makes you a great instructor is being able to go along and improve and find, you know, there's going to be different people, different challenges all the time. And it's going to be, different than trying to go along and tell somebody how to shoot how to hit the bullseye you're going to have to be able to go along get in their head be able to go along and help them out do things properly and that's that's an art form in itself so you know definitely definitely keep uh keep reading i want one of the things i've started with uh after dave's episode been asking our guests are you reading any interesting books lately you know firearm or non-firearm related yeah, so I actually just finished up Above All Else by Dan Chenfield. Uh, great, great book. And uh, I'm actually about to start reading How to Win Friends and Influence People. That's so a good one. I'm pretty excited to get started reading that one. I heard, I've heard a lot of good things about that one. Well, there's always, there's always more to learn you know, to keep a balanced perspective on what's, what's going on and, you know, winning friends and influencing people, no matter how young or how old you are, you're going to have to deal with people unless you're going to be a hermit someplace. So that's uh, really good. Yes, sir. Really good. Well, Shane, where can people find more out about you and impact shooting center? So impactshootingcenter.com is pretty much where you can find out all about the range, uh, how to become a member, uh, how to take a course or class, uh, that we are either putting on here at Impact or that we're hosting a guest. And uh, and just like I said, those the names that I mentioned are just some of the people who are coming here. But um, ImpactShootingCenter.com for pretty much all of it. Uh, Instagram, we are Impact Shooting Center. And Facebook, we're in Impact Shooting Center. Very good. I'll include those links for our listeners in the show notes in case they want to reach out and uh, find more information out about Impact Shooting Center and Shane. Well, that's a wrap of this episode. Got a few requests. First, visit our sponsors, especially the Firearm Trainers Association at ftaprotect.com and check out their instructor insurance. Being a responsible instructor means having insurance coverage for you and for your students too. And remember to use promo code FTP10 for 10% off at checkout. Share this podcast on your social media, Twitter, or wherever you want to share it at. We want to get it out to as many instructors as possible. If the instructors aren't listening to the podcast and obviously we can't do our job of educating uh, more uh, responsible gun owners follow us on social media instagram facebook twitter 
and let us know what you're thinking about. We're quick to respond. If you have input, questions, feedback, ideas for new episodes, you want to go along and find out something uh, that we were talking about more, feel free to email us at FTP at concealedcarry.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you listen to podcasts at. Remember, we bring you this podcast to support the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Stay safe and train well. Concealed Carry Inc. and ConcealedCarry.com strives to share helpful information and education about gun-related topics, training tips, and other things that may potentially have legal implications for its listeners. The information contained in this podcast is intended in good faith, but it is important to understand that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand laws that apply to them. Nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued as legal advice or counsel.